This is Thrash It Out, a show where we listen to a heavy metal album and then argue about it. I'm Anthony Johnston. And I'm Brian Latendry, and today we're talking about an absolute blast of a record, the 2022 album Circus of Doom from Finland's Battle Beast. A blast of a record, an absolute blast. That's a new new phrase for you. Can I, I thought I'd mix it cards? up, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's volume seven, Anthony, you know, <laughs> and, you know, if you use the same intros outros language all the time you're going to find yourself on a bingo card one of these days you know indeed and you, you don't want that to happen <laughs> a fate worse than uh worse than death <laughs> um yeah volume seven can you believe it it is now no. over over eight years since we uh started this and i actually just worked out that this is episode 86 uh wow and it, if we do the same number of episodes this volume as we did last volume, then by the end we will have reached episode 100. I feel like we have to then. Oh, which is kind I of mean, amazing, it, isn't it? It, yeah. it lines up perfectly. 86 yeah. episodes. That is... The 86 episodes is great. The eight years is insane. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That's well, I mean, they're, bo- they're both insane. I think this... Uh, I think it would have to be another... If we do another two, as long as like I don't get run over by a bus, uh, you know, and we record at least another two episodes i think that will make this the longest running continuous podcast that i have done because i think unjustly maligned ended at 87 if i recall correctly i know you've done ones that have run into the hundreds into you know many triple figures (laughs) but for me this is quite a milestone (laughs) Uh, but i mean by eight years dude it's just absolutely insane and i forget what the stat is i'm sure it's changed since but like most podcasts don't make it past i don't know like let's say 10 episodes or something like that and so uh to get to in the 80s and to be around for eight years is crazy yeah it is i haven't seen that stat but it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest it's something it's something super low i forget exactly what it is but it's definitely um and as someone who has had podcasts that haven't made it past episode 10 (laughs) like i can vouch for that like it is it's hard to maintain any sort of consistency even though we take a little bit longer in between our episodes but just like the commitment to putting a show out for a long period of time is it takes i I don't know people that obviously do it know that it takes a lot of time but it is um it's quite a feat yeah, well, and consistency, as you said. I mean, you know, we are nothing if not consistent, hence why our listeners can make bingo cards about our cat- little catchphrases and uh, idioms and what have you. <laughs> um, I just wanted to say, actually, so first of all, I'm going to say we have a few new patrons since the last episode. Ronan Percival, Michael Squire, and Hugh Cummins have all joined up at uh, patreon.com slash thrash it out. Thank you all. Welcome. Uh, welcome, yeah. Um, but I also wanted to say, like, uh, because this is the first track in a new volume, I mean, I have no idea how algorithms work, but you know, now that you can actually put in the metadata that this is the first ep of a new season, as it were, um, it might boost things up a bit. I don't know. If you're listening to this for the first time, welcome. Um, as, you know, as has just been said, you've come in quite late <laughs> because we are 86 episodes in, but because of the nature of the show, you can listen to any episode, you know, so uh, you don't have to go back and listen from the start, but you are more than welcome to. Every episode is available, you know, in podcast players and at our website, which is thrashitoutpodcast.com uh, and always will be. And you can listen to them all for free. Um, but yeah, by all means, 
you can also just pick and choose, you know, go through and pick the albums that you want to hear us talk about. Have a look at the episodes and go, oh, yeah, I like that album or I don't like that album uh, and I want to hear them talk about it. You don't have to have listened to all of them. But if you are somebody who's been listening since the start or who joined us later and then went back and listened from the start to catch up, thank you very much. Uh, that is quite impressive. Um, I applaud your endurance <laughs> <laughs> and your patience. Uh, and yeah, you know, welcome all, whether you're old or new listeners. That's a really good point because I just think of things like uh, Critical Role is a good example, right? Where I haven't seen a lot of critical role but i know that like trying to jump into it is such a huge commitment right because you got to go back and so the fact that you can sort of skip around and and check out albums you like i think is something that we just through the nature of the show it makes it a little bit more accessible but we talked about the commitment it takes to put a show out consistently the commitment it takes to listen to a show consistently (laughs) is also a huge commitment and that you know we don't ever want that to be lost that we truly appreciate Everyone who, whether this is your first episode or you've been listening since the beginning, anybody who digs back into the archives and actually listens to these episodes, uh, we greatly, greatly appreciate it. Yeah, we really do. Um, What else did I want to talk about before we get it? Oh, I know. uh, Bandcamp. Yes. So you uh if you are somebody who's listened to the show you know for a while and who's uh, very familiar with it and all that you will have heard us many times mention bandcamp uh because bandcamp is a fantastic place to uh find new music a lot of both indie and established bands use it to put out their music lots of record labels use it to put out purchasable and streamable versions of their music as well as sell you know special editions special vinyl pressings and merch and all that sort of thing but primarily it is a great place to find and be recommended their algorithm is pretty good as well uh new music but uh, it looks like it might be headed for the shitter because yep. Bandcamp was, it was bought a few years ago by Epic of all people, Epic Games, that is. Uh, and at the time that was a bit head scratching, but Epic promised that they would basically just leave it alone, uh, that they thought it was a great business and they were just going to leave it alone and let it do its thing. And they did, which I was amazed by. Like I was <laughs> probably one of the more skeptical people about that. And I thought, yeah, there's no way they're going to do that, but they actually did. And uh, it trundled along for a couple of years, happily, nothing really changed, uh, and it was it was fine. But then, as part of a massive uh, contraction going on in the video games industry at the minute, which, you know, many of you will know that I write video games as well as many other things, and, uh, you know, so I've seen this kind of firsthand you know a lot of people i know have been laid off uh there have been thousands and literally thousands upon thousands of layoffs uh this year in the video games industry and it's really been terrible honestly if you are somebody else who works in games you know uh my heart goes out to you because yeah it is really tough out there at the minute but part of that or as part of that i should say uh, epic decided they were going to sell Bandcamp. And they sold it to a platform called Song Trader. And right from the start, Song Trader were just making not the best noises, shall we say. You yeah. know, their their public comments did not inspire a lot of confidence. And then their actions, frankly, since then, have also not inspired a lot of confidence. They fired half of the staff, including all of the people who led the Bandcamp United Union, 
which is a really bad look. Uh, they've refused to recognise the union so far. Certainly at time of recording, they haven't recognised or negotiated with the union at all, the people who are left in it. Um, yeah, they've fired loads of people from Bandcamp Editorial. It's just not looking good, which is a real shame because, you know, I publish my own music through Bandcamp, but I also, as I said, I use it to purchase and listen to a lot of music from artists who aren't on major labels and who wouldn't float to the top of algorithms in the, you know, iTunes store or, you know, Apple Music store or whatever it's called these days. Um, so, yeah, that's a real shame. However, there is uh, an alternative being sort of, you know, in its nascent stage, as it were, called Ampwall. That's A-M-P-W-A-L-L, which is created, of all things, by a black metal musician from New York, <laughs> uh, who apparently was working on it before this all started with Bandcamp, but since then has really accelerated his development of it. So it's in heavy development as, a, as you know, as a possible replacement. Um, it's not open yet, although he is taking sort of feedback and inquiries, especially from bands. Um, you, but you can check it out at ampwall.com. Uh, I think there are some blog updates there as well, talking about his development of it. I'm going to be keeping an eye on that because that may well wind up being, especially for metal, uh, you know, a better replacement for uh, Bandcamp. So but we'll see. Turbulent times, which is uh, always a bit concerning. Yeah. And to see Bandcamp get caught up in the chaos that is happening in the video game industry is really a bummer. I wonder, you know, going back, uh, and I didn't read any of the initial interviews when, like, Epic acquired them, but, you know, obviously Epic has a lot of big plans about being a publishing platform and, and luring, you know, developers to publish their games on mm-hmm. the on the Epic Game Store and stuff like that. I mean, clearly, if they had the equivalent for, like, game-related music, right, or music that could be used in games or anything like that, like, I uh, obviously that could have been some of that sort of early motivation for having an established platform like Bandcamp that was so creator friendly, right. In terms of the tools for people to uh, publish their own stuff and, uh, and, and the bit of sort of the social aspect to it and stuff like that. And yeah, it's just, yeah, that might, I wonder what the best case scenario of that would have looked like. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if that was a motivation, I didn't see, from the outside, I don't know anybody on the inside there, but from the outside, I didn't see any any sign that they were doing that or working on it. But there might have been. Who knows? Um, you know, as you say, it would kind of make sense. But yeah, it's just, as you say, Bandcamp, is the, one of the things that it, reasons it's so great is it's so creator-friendly. Yeah. Like, you know, a lot of bands, a lot of musicians like me are kind of one-man bands. You know, the stuff I put out, it's just me. There's no collaboration. I don't have a label. Uh, I don't have assistance you know or anything like that right uh and but i am able to publish entire albums of music so easily so easily through bandcamp and you know they their split their cut as it were rather is really good you know again it's everything is just so artist friendly about it um and you know pertaining as i said specifically to to metal in this podcast they had a really good metal editorial team a really good team who got metal, who were metalheads themselves, who were really great at recommending stuff, you know, putting out, uh, highlighting new metal bands in newsletters and what have you. And it's, and all of that is at risk of just collapsing now. So yeah, it's a real shame. Yeah. And then as far as the video game industry, like 
what's amazing if people are not into video games and haven't sort of been following is that this may be the best year for video games ever in terms of the actual games that came out this year. And it's probably the worst year for video games ever for people who actually work in the industry, which is yeah. amazing. Well, it's, I mean, yeah, it, it, for this generation of video games, I would say for sure. I mean, it's hard to sort of compare it to, you know, there was the big contraction in the mid 80s. Uh, when Atari almost went bust and, you know, the E.T. game wound up in landfill and all that sort of thing. But obviously that was that was practically a completely different industry. It was so long ago. In terms of the modern industry, yeah, this is absolutely the worst year. But, like when you're talking about the contraction, right, it's like the video games were struggling and people were deeply affected by that. This is a year where video game profits are insane. The games that are coming out, this is being talked about as, if not the best year ever for video games, then certainly in the top three or four ever for games that have actually come out. And so to see that, you know, so for gamers, it is this amazing year like that will go down and be talked about for decades as like the greatest when you think about all the games that came out this year. And then for people that work in the industry, it's like an absolute nightmare. Yeah, yeah, more people are playing games than ever before, but right. for some reason the industry, and it's not just, I mean, some of it's a reaction to, you know, pre, pre or rather during COVID, I should say, there was a massive ramp up of hiring because sure. getting sales increased. And, you know, this is, some of this is a reaction to that and kind of going back down to pre-COVID levels, but not all of it. You know, there's absolutely been way more laying offs uh, in the last year than there were hires. Um, yeah. in 2020 and 2021. So yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. Um, so yeah, a bit of a bummer. Sorry about that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, this is something that the band counting is something that could affect us all, uh, you know, both listeners and, uh, musicians. So it's, yeah, something that we've got to keep an eye on, but we are not a current affairs stroke news podcast. So, uh, let's move on from that and talk about our last episode, which was of course the bonus episode to volume six. Uh, the Ingve Malmsteen uh, record, which I think surprised a lot of people. <laughs> Pleasantly surprised. Fair to say that a lot of people were not expecting that to be on, anywhere on our radar. Uh, and yeah, that was a fun episode. Well, let's start with Todd's comment of definitely didn't expect this. I'm guessing this is a Brian pick, and although I know he appreciates a good shred fest, I wouldn't have expected a full-on instrumental neoclassical shred to hold his interest for a whole LP. <laughs> Looking forward yeah. to revisiting this album. It's literally been over 30 years since wow. I listened to my cassette of Rising Force. It, it, important to say, obviously, that was written before he listened to the episode, because then correct. he would have known that it was my pick. <laughs> that is correct. See, we st- even in year eight, we can still, still surprise people. Yeah. We still surprise people, you know? We keep you guessing. Uh, let's see. Uh, Joe said, yes, I was blown away when I heard some guys playing this record where I worked as a teen in the 80s. I'm sure Anthony didn't appreciate the noodling, but hopefully Brian did. Again, like, you guys are, you know, making assumptions up front here. Yeah, Ingve took yeah. the classical music influences of Randy Rhodes playing to a new level. I'm sure people hearing it now won't find it as interesting as it was then, but I still love it. Unfortunately, I don't think he ever matched this record, though I did like the next two. Yeah, I think I talked about it during the episode, but I think this, in doing this episode, this one really solidified for me, because I also wouldn't have chosen this as the record, Rising Force. Right. Um, but in listening to the for this episode, it definitely, I think, stands above um, 
So yeah. Uh, let's see. Mike said, wow, what a nice surprise. Ingve rules. I saw him live in Birmingham in 1986, and it was very loud, and he played very fast. Uh, he also threw about nine ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine plectrums into the audience <laughs> after every song. I've still got mine. According to eBay, it's now worth over a hundred pounds. Wow. Obviously, this album is brilliant, but Ingve's best playing is on the first Alcatraz album, where he is reined in slightly and is more melodic and less frantic. Check it out. Uh, yeah, or you could check out that Steeler album too. Um, let's see. Mike said. Uh, he also said, so I get my comment read out on the next, so I, so that I get my comment read out on the next episode of Tio, can I just say that Ingve is amazing slash terrible and this album is amazing slash horrendous. And I totally agree <laughs> slash disagree with Anthony slash Brian. There is too much slash not enough guitar on these memorable slash tedious songs. Perfect. That's one way to cover all your bases. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, David said, I didn't even need to do the homework for this one. I can sing along with every solo. That's uh, impressive, considering like, the length of the solos. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Uh, Samuel said, Anthony's comment about there not being long metal instrumentals has me screaming Call of Cthulhu at my phone like an idiot. Yeah, uh, yep, yeah. Call of Cthulhu came up a couple times in the comments here. Yeah, we talked about that in the thread. So that was the same year. Uh, like, um, Ride the Lightning was the same year as Rising Force. So, and Ride the Lightning did predate it by a few months, but I don't know. I can't help thinking, like, it was too, that's not enough time, you know, to right. have, like, been a major influence on the album. Because Ingve was clearly, you can hear in the, you know, the demos and stuff, he was clearly already doing this sort of stuff and on this path uh, by the time that came out so while yes in terms of publishing i was wrong and it's not like the first long form uh guitar-led metal instrumental it's you know it was the first album i think uh to first to do it on a whole album and yeah i don't think you can really point to call of cthulhu as an influence per se but it's interesting that i completely skipped over it given that we when we talked about ride the lightning it's my favorite metallica album and i just completely forgot about call of cthulhu <laughs> Uh, Mike said, this pulls me back to 80s teenage endless arguments about guitarists. Ingve, Akira, Glenn and KK, Davey and Adrian, Wolf and Jorg. Fast as a Shark remains a desert island single for me, uh, miniature German psycho. And because I wasn't entirely in lockstep with my friends, Rick Emmett, Alex Lifeson, and Buck Dharma, a uh, big fan of Morcock uh, and Elric of Melnabone, and a thousand others. I love the cover of Rising Storm so much, I made an MS-DOS pixel art of it. Making a guitar in flames with colored squares turns out to be far less impressive looking than it sounds. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Uh, Phil got a bingo on his bingo card. He said, uh, bingo card number 830, 37. Oh, maybe he didn't get a bingo. He said, I need one square. He said, come on, Brian. Is there no way you didn't say freaking awesome in this episode? Oh. <laughs> uh, I guess no freaking awesome there oh wait he did get one uh phil said thanks to joe pointed out in a sub thread that i miss anthony saying fret wanking right near the end of the episode <laughs> not sure how i missed that that is the one so if you're listening to this for the first time that is the one inside joke that we have now is there are certain phrases that anthony and i say enough that they have made it onto a bingo card that people can play along with now as they listen to the episodes uh let's see phil also said things phil has been unable to get in uh, into in 40 plus years as a music fan one classical music two modern instrumental guitar music 
He said, so yeah, Ingve just never did it for me. And I remember being both blown away by Ingve's virtuosity and completely bored to tears by this record in 1984. I don't think I'd have a different opinion of this album today, but it seems to be unstreamable. And I can't listen to it as I don't own it or any Ingve albums. Uh, the episode was great and really surprising pick from Anthony as his disdain for wittily, wittily fret wankery is well established. <laughs> <laughs> uh, accurate. Yeah. 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 But, you know, as I said in the episode, what overrides it for me is partly just the innovation, you know, as we said again, you know, the innovation that Ingve brought to the to metal, but also I am a big classical listener. So, yeah, you know, I kind of I approach it from that angle. Dave said, did Ingve have any involvement with the Bill and Ted movies? Because to me, most of the music on this album sounds like songs that would be perfect <laughs> for the chase scenes in those films. It also feels like this album would be what Bill and Ted played to Beethoven to make him love 80s music. That may sound like a knock, but it's not. I found this to be a fun listen and plan to check it out uh, in more depth later. As always, a great discussion and a great pick for a closer. Can't wait for the next volume. Um yeah, ironically, it is Nuno who is most well known for the first Bill and Ted movie for uh, that shopping mall scene, which I believe is Play With Me from the first Extreme Oh, uh, right, right. Um, but very classically influenced, obviously, uh, that particular solo. Another so. one, yeah. Who did the, um, you know, the diddly 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 uh, thing on the, the tapping on for Bill and the Ted? Was that, um, yeah, was that Nuno or... Because it sounds uh, like it's sort of meant to be Van Halen-ish, but I can't imagine they actually got Van Halen, because the no, first one was quite be. a cheap film. I feel like that's something I should know, and I don't. But yeah, that guitar lick every time they play air guitar, um, I'm sure is Somebody out there knows. One of our listeners player. will know. Tell us in the comments on Facebook. Yep, I'm not going to look it up now. Please state in the comments. But uh, I will say this. Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, one of the all-time great movie soundtracks. Yes. Featuring Winger's Battle Stations. So just put that in your back pocket and listen to it later. Oh, um, see, I told you once again, I'd never knowingly heard a Winger song before. So, I mean, I love Burgess Journey, but I had no idea there was a Winger song on there. <laughs> the whole, I'm making us on there. The whole uh, soundtrack is amazing. Uh, let's see. Back to Ingve. Well, uh, Stuart said, now I tried to get into Ingve and the whole fret wankery instrumental genius maestro genre, Tony McAlpine being another example back in the day. This was mainly because of my love of Richie ba Blackmore's playing. Trouble is, I started falling out with Richie when he started getting more into the overtly neoclassical style beloved of Ingve. That'll be mainly the Rainbow albums he did with Joe Lynn Turner, uh, another Ingve link, and later. And the less said about Blackmore's Night, the better. I see a fair amount of my antipathy to Ingve's style as being dislike of his more is always more philosophy. The quote about him seeing violin playing as an inspiration rang true there as well, because like Ingve, violinists seem often to be cramming as many notes in as possible, uh, where less might serve the piece better. But that's just my taste slash opinion, which might be compromised by my enjoyment of instrumental music, where one chord might be allowed to sing for minutes at a time. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, he left an example of, uh, is it Sun? Sun-O, oh. yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, technically they're just called Sun, but everybody calls them Sun-O, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so if you want to be wowed by one chord ringing out for minutes at a time, then and go listen to that. And deafened. <laughs> I, know, I have never seen Sun Live, but I have friends who have, and they've, they've all said he was unquestionably the loudest band they have ever, ever seen live. 
I think for me, it's Zach Wild and Slayer were the two loudest that I've ever seen live. The last Slayer show I saw before I started wearing earplugs prompted me to then start wearing earplugs. Right, yeah. <laughs> That'll um, do it. <laughs> Let's see. Andrew said, I've always had a pretty dim view of Malmsteen, uh, seen him as a bit of a joke. Firstly, while his skill is undeniable, the kind of guitar waffle he produces makes no melodic sense to me. I'm not a fast solo kind of guy, and this is like the Nietzschean ideal of fast guitar solos. But his personality is the other big part of it. Now, don't get me wrong. I love an artist who produces cheesy, silly work, but takes it deadly seriously. Dio is the perfect example. There is a charm to their earnestness that tends to win me over, and the cheese isn't tainted by the pungent mold of cynicism. It's really good. Um, but Malmsteen's assholishness just makes him a bit uh, over-the-top ridiculous, like a shredding Alan Partridge. When this came up, I thought, oh man, I'm going to have to have a serious listen, put aside my preconceptions, and give it a fair chance. Turns out I can't. <laughs> Rising Force by Ingve Malmsteen, one star. <laughs> oh, there's some good comments on this one. Yeah, yeah. Good job, oh, everybody. You know, our, our, as we've said before, our community is great, and uh, you know, there are some very funny people in there. Uh, David Richardson wrote an essay on this, so I'm going to pick some highlights. He said, "Okay, so my full reply to the Rising Force episode. Uh, first, I was glad you both liked it as much as you did. Black Star is fantastic, and the biggest problem of these first two being played live still." is the fact that he usually ruins the melodies live with overplayed solos. Well, that's disappointing. Uh, he said, Far Beyond the Sun, I will always love this because my friend Brandon and I would often play a drum and guitar cover of it. Now Your Ships Are Burned, love this song, but mostly because of the bass and drums. Uh, Evil Eye, he originally wrote this when he was in Alcatraz. I did not know that. I should mention here that David is a drummer, so he's always a bit biased towards drum stuff. Uh, let's see. Icarus. One of my favorite parts is when the solo guitar comes over the acoustic. Uh, as above certainly shows what the next album will be like. Soto was one of my favorites for a long time. I wish I liked his new stuff more. Uh, maybe Sons of Apollo needs a listen. Uh, Little Savage, such a great song for being so far into the album. Farewell makes me nostalgic for the album, just like Black Horseman on King Diamond. Uh, Abigail does. Makes me want to listen again. Uh, let's see. And then he talks about some of the other artists that he likes, uh, instrumentalists as well. He mentions Vinnie Moore, uh, Steve Vai, Tony McAlpine, Chris Poland. He said, great episode, guys. And Anthony, everyone likes a climax. <laughs> uh, let's see. Todd said, I vaguely remember an article on Malmsteen in a, in a guitar magazine from the 80s or early 90s. I think it was to hype the album Eclipse. The photographer noted that Ingve was the only musician he'd ever photographed who brought their own lighting. <laughs> to the photo shoot. <laughs> uh, it's I'm not the slightest bit surprised. <laughs> uh, Kevin said, yes, there haven't been many albums which I can say truly changed my life, but this one changed my life more than any other. I didn't get this until 1987, but when I heard the nylon string opening of Black Star, it made me say, this is what I've been waiting for my entire life. I was 17 and a wannabe guitar slinger from the age of 11. This album made me investigate the roots of Ingve's love of classical music. I delved into Bach, Paganini, Vivaldi, Albiani, etc. I was disappointed that his other albums weren't primarily instrumental, but the seeds were planted and I started to focus on classical guitar. Now at the age of 53, I haven't played electric guitar in several decades, although I still remain a metalhead at heart, but I play and study classical every day and couldn't be happier. All because of this one album and Mr. Malmsteen. Definitely a desert island disc for me. That's amazing. 
Yeah, I think we're going to end on that comment because we're not going to be able to top that. How can you that's, top it? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's great. But clearly, to go back to what we were saying before, like not only was this a pleasant surprise, but turns out a lot of people have very strong positive feelings about this album and a lot of nostalgia for it. Yeah, which genuinely surprised me because obviously, you know, a lot of the things that surrounding Ve are about his assholishness and his behavior in the eighties, and uh, a lot of people, you know, disdaining his uh instrumental stuff so yeah i was pleasantly surprised to see how many people actually had really fond memories of it yeah i would say you knocked it out of the park as far as a bonus episode pick oh thank you very much um well speaking of picks then let's move on to your pick to open this volume which is another fun record which is funny actually so uh again just for people who may be new to the show brian and i we we choose an album you know we tell one and the other person obviously what the album we're going to listen to is but then we don't talk about it before the show like this show what you're hearing now is the first time that we have discussed the whatever album we're talking about uh because that would you know, what would be the point otherwise? <laughs> right. Um, so this genuinely is the first time that we have discussed the music on this album. Uh, but one thing that we did say, we obviously do still talk uh, in between episodes. Um, one of the things that did come up was I noted that it's become something of a tradition for Brian to kick each volume off with a kind of fun, you know, fun metal quote unquote uh selection uh and brian was like hey you know we must have been doing it a while if it's if it's now become a tradition but actually then i looked back and i was wrong (laughs) 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 i looked back and i was like no actually he's done it maybe like two or three times but then you've also picked things like creator and overkill uh to what's more fun than overkill right i'm like you know not exactly what you think of as fun metal bands so yeah no it was i think it just felt that way because you've also picked stuff like def leppard and rat to uh, open volumes obviously those fall under the same kind of fun metal heading but yeah no it was i was totally wrong (laughs) but you are totally right as far as the intent of like why i picked this album to start it off because i have you know i have an ongoing list that and you know i've made it through a lot of my personal list of like albums that i would want to cover on this podcast and dig into and things like that and i will add bands to it as i hear new bands or listen to new albums that really kind of floor me and i think oh maybe i'd like to talk about that um and this was one of those but i definitely wanted to kick off this volume with something fun and to me that is battle beast like if I had to pick one word that I associate with this band, it, it is fun. It's it's like joy, you know. Like they're right. I think that's approach, a better word. Yeah, yeah. Just the approach to the songs themselves on the album, but their approach to uh, playing live, which I have not seen them live other than through videos and things like that. But just like everything about the vibe to me is just like fully in and someone mentioned it in the ingve comment of like how the the cheesiness if it's done earnestly is can win you over and i think it's i wouldn't even throw i mean you could certainly say that there's some cheese factor in, in this stuff here but i think it's the earnestness for me and the kind of being all in to what you're putting into a song 
that really just wins me over time and time again with this band. Um, and this was the album that introduced me to them. I was not a longtime listener of Battle Beast. Um, they've been around since, you know, before 2010. And this is their sixth album. This was the first one that I jumped into. And it absolutely blew me away. And so just thinking about what I wanted to kick off this volume with, the the joy of this album is what I wanted to kick off this volume with. So that's really interesting because I, I mean, I'd never heard anything by them at all. Uh, and I actually assumed that maybe you had been listening to them for a while. Um, and the reason it's interesting is because, yeah, the band formed in 2008, but they're... The chief founder and their main songwriter left after like three albums. Um, a guy called Anton Cabanon. Yep. And uh, since then, the bassist of all people has become the main songwriter, uh, along with the keyboard player, I believe, and the drummer. Um, but mainly the bassist. He's written like more songs than anybody else in the band since that time. He and I don't think he'd written any before then, and he just sort of took over on the next album. Um, and I've I read around and I sort of looked around at comments and reviews and quite a few fans, inevitably fans from the older era, quite a few of them don't like the newer era because they think something's been lost. Cabanon, by the way, went off and formed a band called Beast in Black. Which, which I is, knew of before Battle Beast. Right. And I had heard of them, although I don't think I've ever heard anything by them. And I get the impression that that's clearly supposed to be his kind of like, well, this is what Battle Beast would have been if I yep. was a, if I was still in the band, you know. Um, whereas Battle Beast themselves have gone a bit lighter, a bit more to sort of, you know, kind of um, pop metal, if you like, uh, sort of within temptation kind of uh, direction um, over the last few albums. And then... And also losing some of the heaviness. And then what I saw was a lot of reviews saying that this album brings back the heaviness. Yes. Um, all, all of that tracks with what I have yeah. sort of heard about the band as well. Um, but that's funny because I was going to ask you, because I would say I don't know, and I deliberately haven't gone back and listened to any of the earlier stuff because I didn't want to taint you know, my impression of this album with it. Uh, and so I was going to say to you, is that true? Because I assumed that you'd have heard <laughs> the older stuff. <laughs> well, I did go back and listen to all of their previous albums in preparation for this episode. And I will uh, just give you a quick overview of my notes on those in, in a second. But I did want to just talk about the Beast in Black um, thing, because as you mentioned, Anton, who was a co-founder of the band, I believe with... um. Peary, the drummer, and it might have been? I think it was Yana, the keyboard player, wasn't it? I think it was Yana, the keyboard player. Yeah, the three of them were the original founders. I mean, if you go back and read... Oh, no, sorry, caused... it, was a, it was a guitarist. Sorry, it was a, a guitarist, uh, Yuso Soigno. So if you go back and read like what caused the breakup, it, from everything that I've read, it is that Anton wanted to be in complete creative control. And so that eventually became more and more of an issue he went to do beast in black which he can have 100 percent complete control over and when he left the band became much more of a collaborative songwriting unit um you know you mentioned that the bass player has written a bunch but so the keyboard player uh, produces and has done a, mm -hmm. a bunch of writing on songs and from the interviews that i've seen everybody brings song ideas to the table and stuff like that and so it seems to be a more collaborative endeavor now yeah. in the band. And 
uh, Beast in Black has become what Anton wanted Battle Beast to be. And that has worked out well, too. He's been very successful with that. And um, I don't we I couldn't find a ton of stuff where they're like talking bad about each other. They're they're really not. There was one interview that I found with um, I think it was with uh, Yana, who was just uh, they asked him about, you know, uh, the previous thing. And, you know, if he had been writing a bunch of songs, but just couldn't get him in the band before and all that kind of stuff. Um, where is the quote here? It says uh, the the uh, dead rhetoric was the site that was interviewing him, uh, Yana, and said because Anton wrote a lot of the songs before. Were you sitting on a lot of songs for a while? And he said actually during that time I didn't even try to write songs for Battle Beast. I was focusing on other things. Um, but once we got to a point where we decided we can't continue with Anton, then I started writing. I've been writing songs for a really long time, but only after he left, I started writing songs for Battle Beast and. Um, they said, have you listened to his new Beast in Black stuff yet? And he said, I saw one of the songs. It's a great song, and he's an amazing songwriter. I think that's better for everyone and also for Anton now that he has his own band and he can do everything by himself, and that's a much better situation for him. And, um, you know, he basically then goes on to talk about how it's a collaborative effort now and, and yeah. things like that. And so, and obviously he brought his brother into the band too. And that, to yes. me feels like a big big part of who they are now so yona and yana uh bjorkroth yana is the keyboard player he does backing vocals he produces uh yona is lead guitar also background vocals and yona is more of a metalhead and yana the keyboard player is more of a pop fan right and those two influences from what I've seen, even in some of their behind the scenes videos about the making of previous albums and stuff like that, to me is that sort of secret sauce of what, um, because the not so secret sauce is that Nora's voice is absolutely insanely incredible. Well, and so like there's no secret sauce to her. She is absolutely one of the most dynamic singers I've ever heard. But before we get to that, I mean, we should also, yes, remember uh, Eero Sippler, the bassist, is the one who, you know, writes most of the songs. Not all, but most. So that's the other kind of, again, not-so-secret source. He is clearly very much a metalhead. I mean, you've only got to see him on stage. (laughs) Right. Oh, absolutely. Very obviously a metalhead. Um, But what's really interesting about uh, Yana, the keyboard player, as you say, he's the producer as well. He's produced their last, like, four albums or something. Yeah. all and, of and which also have engineered been number them. one on the finished charts. All right, four yeah. of their last four albums have been yeah. that. And also engineered them as well, along with his brother on the last one, I think, and the one before the you know, the album we're talking about, because that is this is their most recent album, so it's a doom. So yeah, it's a real kind of I don't know, it feels like almost the, 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 in a way become a sort of family unit, uh, you know, now that um Anton Cabanon's gone with uh Piri Vicky, the drummer you know, still there, but I didn't see him. I haven't seen anything about him talking to the press. I didn't find any interviews with him. No, usually it, it's, uh, it, even though he's a founder member, one of the only, you know, one of only two founder members left in the band out of three. Uh, yeah, he, he just never seems to talk to the press. It's weird. So we've mentioned a lot of names here. So the current lineup of the band, uh, Nora Luhimo is the lead vocalist. Uh, Yona Bjorkroth, lead guitarist. Yana Bjorkroth, 
keyboards and guitar, most importantly. Oh yes, <laughs> as we will as we will talk about. Uh, Arrow bass, uh, Piri Vicky is on drums, and Yuso Sawino is the rhythm guitarist. And yep. Yuso, Piri, Arrow, and Yana have all been in the band since 2008. Uh, Nora joined as the lead vocalist in 2012. We'll talk about the previous vocalists in a second. And uh, Yona, the brother of Yana, joined as guitar player when Anton left the band in 2015. Yeah, and since 2015, they've been stable. I did notice Correct. that, yeah. Um, um, before we get on to... There was one thing I wanted to pick up on when you were talking about how fun is kind of, you know, clearly a thing that this band... They are a fun band, and they are fun on stage. And uh, one of the things you did you did send me before we recorded was um, a video of them performing King for a Day, which is one of their previous singles, I think, uh, not on this album, uh, somewhere. And, and it was great. It was a really great performance. But one of the things that struck me, and I've also since watched a few videos of them performing live at places like Grass Pop last year and stuff, you know, big festivals. One of the things that really struck me about them is that they are absolutely having fun on stage. Like every single member of the band is clearly really into it in their own way and is having an absolute blast out there on stage. But I was thinking about, well, okay, but that's true of a lot of bands. What separates bands like this from some of the bands that I maybe don't like quite so much who are clearly still also having fun on stage? And what I think it is is that there doesn't seem to be um, an egotistical side to their performance. Like right. th they're having fun, but not in a kind of, they're not strutting. It's not kind of like, Hey, look at me. I'm a God. I'm a guitar God. I'm so fucking great. Um, you know, they're ironically not doing the Yngwie Malmsteen <laughs> thing. Uh, you know, even Nora, who, you know, obviously is the front woman, as you said, has the most incredible voice is not, I don't know. It, it's, it's ineffable. I can't really put my finger up, but there's something about them that is very inviting. It's as if they're kind of like, yeah, we're fans of this stuff too by the way, and we're all going to have a great time tonight, rather than, hey, look at me, I'm the rock god on stage. And I find that really, uh, like I say, endearing. I, I think yep. that's a really good feature of the band. It is, um, it does feel very like they're in sync with the audience, and they're, it's a shared thing, as opposed to, we're giving this to you. Mm, you know, mm. we're, we are, we are producing this, and you are loving this. It is, um, and I think just in interviews and things like that, like Nora is, seems very um, down to earth, you yeah. know, in in the conversation. So I pu I pulled a few interviews. By the way, you, you mentioned previous performances. So uh, Nita Vallo was the original singer for the band on their first album. Mm-hmm. And she left. It, from what I read, it, there was family stuff going on, and that's why she... Uh, left at some point but I'm, i have no idea if that's accurate or not but you always wonder like oh so they bring somebody new in and, and how does the fan base accept and how does that kind of go well there's an awesome video of uh nita and nora doing a duet in 2015 so nora joined the band in 2012 so three years later at a live show they bring the original singer back on stage and they do an absolutely killer duet of like one of their you know, more popular songs at the time. And she was an incredible singer as well. And so to 
have them both on stage together was really something special and very cool that the band seemed to really be into and the fans of course absolutely loved oh, um, excellent so i pulled some interviews and they their previous album no more Holo- no more hollywood endings or i think that was two albums ago uh the brothers were talking about their specific style so uh Yona was saying as a songwriter, he's a guitar player, I stayed in my comfort zone, so I wrote a lot of metal songs for this album. Uh, And the album is very diverse. It's got a heavier side and the lighter side, and I'm more responsible for the heavy shit. And then Yana said, well, I guess I'm more responsible for the pop and rock side of the album, which is something I naturally write. And as a producer of the album, I really have to bring in all of these different elements and kind of make them work together. So interesting just to see like the two styles of the brothers that I think are very evident. in what they're doing on the albums. Uh, Nora's been interviewed a a bunch of times about joining the band, about her influences and stuff like that. So as far as her joining the band, she says, I've been listening to heavy metal. This was a, I think a 2018 interview or something like that. But she said, I had been listening to heavy metal since she was 15 years old, but had never sung it. She had always sung hard rock, blues, soul, every other kind of music. She said, and then I got a message from battle beast through Facebook saying that they saw me singing Janis Joplin on YouTube, and she said, Janis Joplin is my biggest female idol, so they asked if I wanted to join the band and go touring with them, like, right away, like, in in a month. (laughs) Uh, She said, I thought someone was trying to fool me, and I didn't believe it at first, but then they called me and told me the story that their singer had left the band, and they need me, and they need my help, and I was like, okay, I, I had heard of the band, like, two weeks earlier on the radio. And she said, can you send me some demos and I'll I'll listen? And she said, I tried to act really cool, but I was actually like, holy crap. And the next day (laughs) I called them back and told them, of course, I was in. So, yeah, found her on YouTube, reached out to her on Facebook, called her and convinced her to join the band. And that's how she joined the band. Um, In another interview, uh, you mentioned Grass Pop. There was an interview with Grass Pop where she said, my first idol was Whitney Houston. But Janis Joplin wow. is the biggest idol for me. She was the woman with the attitude that no one's going to mess around with me, and that's the spirit I want to carry, you know, in in my music and things like that. So, you've got Whitney Houston, you've got Janis Joplin, you've got pop and rock, and you've got metal, and all of that together creates something that, to me, solves a lot of my problems with power metal because like at face value, I feel like power metal should be my favorite genre of metal. <laughs> like there's, we, we talked about this when we did the uh, blind guardian episode, didn't we? Yeah. 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 Like, and it's an internal frustration for me that this type of music, it, uh, it just, I'd never have been able to truly totally click with it until like the, as far as like on all levels until like this band. And I think one of the biggest reasons, and I haven't seen this mentioned in an interview anywhere, but this band in a lot of ways feels like metal ABBA to me. <laughs> and that is to me like a Reese's peanut butter cup. Like ABBA is one of the greatest groups of all time. And I'm, and I love metal. And you put them together, and and I think it's because of it's because of the absolute over the top keyboards that are in in every facet of their music. 
Like it's just the, the earnestness. It's the complete, like being all in on all elements of this stuff. And I think it's because they are not afraid to keep the guitars, you know, at the forefront or at least even keel with other elements of the music. Whereas I feel like for power metal, a lot of times the guitars get washed out or they get faded into the background and it doesn't have the punch that to me, when I hear power metal, that it doesn't have the power. This band has the power on every level because not only do they give every sort of instrument its opportunity to shine, but then you have Nora whose voice is a force of nature. And so all of those together, there's just an energy about this band. And when you have that energy and you have that joy and you have that almost ABBA-esque element to it, it's just like, it is so my jam. Like it is such, uh, to, to use a quote from the bingo card, that is in my wheelhouse for (laughs) sure. Um, So yeah, uh, like I am an enormous ABBA fan. I, I would, I would be willing to make a wager that I am probably the biggest ABBA fan out of like anybody who listens to this show. Um, you know, huge fan. I wouldn't necessarily, I don't think the songwriting here is as sophisticated as ABBA. That's the thing that gets overlooked with ABBA is that their songwriting is actually really sophisticated, uh, just from a musical point of view. Uh, and that gets overlooked because they also craft these enormously catchy melodies and hooks, which Battle Beasts do do. And that's the, that's the element that they do have is like, they are very, very catchy. Um, but I was re- re- that's really interesting that like, you immediately called them power metal because I listened to this the first few times without looking up anything at all about the band. And I don't know why, maybe it's just because they're Finnish, (laughs) but I was assuming that they would be a symphonic metal band. Uh, And then, of course, I mean, and they do have some elements like that, especially with the, you know, the presence, strong presence of keyboards. Um, But as I was listening to it, I was like, in some ways, this feels to me more power metal than stuff like Blind Guardian. Because, like you, you know, I kind of feel like power metal should be something that I enjoy more, but I, I'm not that into it, other than obviously early Halloween, which was, you know, right. sort of almost proto-power metal. Um, but to me, power metal, one of the things that it has to have is kind of this full-on sing-along quality where you want you know almost every song you want the crowd to be punching the air and singing along at some right. point um and that's missing from a lot of what i hear called power metal these days but it's here no question um yeah i mean like, again every live video i've seen of them they're not only encouraging the crowd to do that in every song but the crowd are doing it in pretty much every song uh yeah they can definitely have that kind of catchy sing-along quality to their songwriting um and yeah just to also pick up on what you said about nora's vocals i mean they're incredible when you sent me that first video of them performing live like i think the the only thing i said was holy shit <laughs> it was just the the power the strength and the control that she has in her voice is amazing but also then the tone of it just personally to me is really appealing i really really love that she has this enormous power but she can do it with a rasp it's not a clean voice because you you know you look at somebody like within temptation and uh she's absolutely got the the strength and the and the power and the sort of you know the ability 
and the range to do that sort of thing. But she doesn't have the rasp that somebody like Nora has. And that really, that kind of steps it over from symphonic into power metal for me or helps. It's one of the things that does it anyway. Um, yeah, the all the live videos are the are basically just a showcase of how good she is. I saw a comment underneath one video on YouTube. Somebody said that she has the expressiveness of Dio and the power of Halford, and I'm like, yeah, that's pretty fair comment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and the swagger of like a Bon Scott. Not not in an egocentric way, like you said, but when you listen to her sing, her control... Oh, it's effortless. And, and just the way that she kind of weaves in and out of just absolutely going for it to almost, you know, underplaying it to just the way she delivers some of the lyrics, and she just, like, has ultimate control to just constantly weave in and out of whatever whatever she thinks that song needs in the moment. And so, whereas you listen to a lot of like metal with dynamic singers and things like that, and there is the part of the song where they're going to go full bore, you know? And you can map it out of like, oh yeah, this is the part where they're just going to absolutely let loose. This is the part where they're going to scream. And of course, you know, Battle Beast has that too. But just on a moment-to-moment level the the, just her the way that she kind of dances in and out of her full toolbox is like is is just super impressive there's a swagger to this band in in the songs themselves of everyone just being so incredibly talented and so comfortable with their with their overall sound that I don't know. There's just something about it where the, it just sounds like a band that's been together for 20 years. It's, right, there's right. just this ease of like, and so you hear like some of the keyboard flourishes and stuff like that, or the way that the lead guitar acts as as another voice, you know, and does almost like that Steve Vai-esque sort of thing. Like there's a lot of emotional sort of licks and just the way that the uh, guitar kind of follows the vocal line or something like that, or, or puts an exclamation point on something that Nora is singing. And just the way all of that stuff works together, it feels very comfortable and not scripted. You know what I mean? Like it just feel it almost, there's almost feels like a level of almost improvisation in it. Even though obviously there, you know, it's not, but it really does have that sort of vibe where it's just there's a flow to it and there's a swagger to it. And um, to your point, when they're performing live, it's like they're sharing that with the they're all sharing the fun of that with the audience as opposed to kind of holding on to that themselves. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, yeah. Anyways, it, it's. There, there's a level of comfort it feels like they have with one another, which, I mean, now they've all been together for, you all know. My, well, the, all of them, apart from the guitarist, have been in the from band. Yana, from right. right. And his, he, eight years for him, but a decade for the rest of them, you know. Exactly, um, yeah. Ele- 11 years for all the others, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and 15 years for the two guys who are still there. Uh, no, more than two guys, sorry. Who? So it was... Um, 
So that would be 15 years for uh, Yusuf Sonio, the guitarist, Jana Bjorkroth, the keyboard player, Eero Sipola, the bassist, and Piri Vicky, the drummer. So that's four members who have been in the band 15 years now, which I think, yeah, it, it is why they have that feeling of confidence uh, and sort of self-assuredness, uh, or certainly it feels that way in their playing, because, yeah, they're they know what the band is and they've been doing it a long time. Although I am pleased to see again in reviews of this album that they are clearly still developing a bit again. You know, this album is a lot of people are calling it a return to form because it's heavier than the last couple of albums where they were going down maybe a slightly lighter, poppier route. So it's good to see that they are still, that they haven't yet, you know, settled into a rut, gotten into a formula. They are still changing and uh, evolving the sound from album to album. I'm definitely going to go back and check out some of their earlier albums after this. As I say, I just didn't want to do that before talking about this album because I didn't want to kind of taint my uh, impression of it. Although, (laughs) talking about Nora's vocals especially, there are clearly some diehard fans out there who absolutely cannot accept this new version. I came across one... I mean, I came across a few reviews that are clearly written by old school fans, but I came across one in particular where the guy was just making shit up. Like, he claimed that Nora was struggling to hit high notes on this album, and I'm like, are you deaf? Like, are you just, what are you talking about? Are you, it's so laughably wrong that I kind of switched off <laughs> at that point in the review. Yeah, I think some people confuse the rasp with struggling. And oh, maybe that's just not the case. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> like, just ignorance. <laughs> if you listen to her sing for more than ten seconds, like you'll realize. And you know, you mentioned previous albums and stuff like that. I feel like on their earlier albums, she was more raspy, mm-hmm. and there was less, almost like operatic and cleaner singing sort of elements. And so, to your point, I think you know, again, and I'm not an expert on this band at all, but I have been digging back into some of their previous stuff. But I think if the argument was that when Anton left, he took some of the heaviest elements with him, I think to your point, and maybe what people are recognizing on this album is that they have figured out what their version of that is now and brought back some of that Mm -hmm. heaviness. There are many heavy moments on the previous album. Unholy Savior feels very power metal-y, um, almost traditionally in, in a lot of ways. And, but the rasp in Nora's vocals is still there. And I think almost, uh, prevalent, I would say in some of the previous albums, I felt like the vocals were kind of a little lower in the mix and weren't showcased as much. The keyboards were a little bit too high in the mix. And for me, that's where I think a lot of power metal like loses me. And so I feel like this album they they dialed it in like they got all all of those elements were there before there was heavier elements there were thrashier elements there was you know incredible vocals but i feel like they're which is what you want right i mean it's your sixth album and you want to be constantly sort of finding what the best version of your sound is yeah and i feel like they have dialed it on this album where it is you know, appropriately heavy, but also everyone gets their time to shine and everyone sounds great. <laughs> you know, like it, well, I it was, feels like they've hit it. I was going to talk about that because like we should say that again, you know, the keyboard player has been the produ- producer of the last like three or four albums. Uh, and the production on this album in particular is excellent. Like the yeah. mixing 
is just like everything, every instrument is clear, audible. There's a great balance between them. You can, yeah, you can hear everything, but there is, but it's just mixed in beautifully. I can't say enough about how good and clean, considering that there are six people in this band, you know, you can hear every single one of them. Uh, it's, it's really quite great. Um, you know, you, yeah, you don't always hear that (laughs) when there's this many people in the band. Uh, so for that to be also, you know, from a member of the band, I mean, I suppose you could say those earlier albums, if you say the keyboards are higher in the mix, you know, that, especially if he's the producer, a lot of people would probably point fingers at that and go, oh yeah, I see, I see. But on this album, that's not the case. You know, yes, the keyboards are there, but they're absolutely not the, the high, the loudest thing on the album by any means. But yeah, they have, I mean, it's definitely worth going back and listening to their previous albums. There's fantastic songs on each album. Um, and well worth going to like it's not like you wouldn't recognize them in listening to this one right you can see the progression um and you can see how things change when anton left and then how they kind of got here but there's super heavy songs on all the albums the mixes are i think this is the best one in terms of the overall mix um and nura i think probably as she continued to you know, embed herself in the band, right? And get to know yeah. everyone and, and get to that comfort level. Like just the the diversity that well, she now brings to almost every song, I think is really uh at its peak. And settle into being a metal singer as well. That's the thing. You know, if if as you say, she hadn't been a metal singer at all until ten years ago, uh, you know, it's gonna take a bit of time to kind of settle into that. And maybe to become comfortable not doing full-on metal rasp all the time and mixing in a few bits of clean vocals here and there. Although there aren't that many on this album, it must no, be said. and I feel like that, you know, the whole rasp thing, that's Janis Joplin. Oh, totally, like, yeah. I, I yeah, feel yeah, like yeah. she's, like, she says very clearly, Janis Joplin is my biggest female idol. And I feel like you immediately it, It's no surprise, yeah. Every, like, every time she sings, you're like, oh, yeah, uh, of course. Absolutely. Sounds definitely heavily influenced by Janis Joplin. Yeah. Although um, I don't I don't think I could have imagined Joplin belting out some of these high notes. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. And just like the yeah, the epicness of some of it. So there yeah, there is. All right, well let, let's let's start talking yeah, let's, about the album then, because yeah, that there is definitely, as you say, an epic feel to uh, quite a bit of this album actually um so this is from last year as we said 2022 uh the original so the sort of main release is 10 songs and there's four and 42 minutes which is you know perfectly fine and average there there, then there is also a version with two bonus tracks so which makes 12 songs and 50 minutes that's the version that we are going to talk about with the bonus tracks and you'll understand why i think when we get to the bonus tracks again brian and i haven't talked about this before but i'm pretty sure i know why you've wanted to do the version with the bonus tracks so we'll talk about that when we get to them um but yeah as i say out from last year it is their most recent album and uh let's get into it with track one opener circus of doom
I think of with this song is something wicked this way comes. But I feel like, which is was a Disney horror movie, right? And and Circus of Doom to me feels like almost like a gothic Disney musical. There's right. something that's it's very dramatic. It's very it, the theme of the circus and the way that they incorporate um, circus style melodies is absolutely perfect on this song. But there is this whole element of this song is inviting you to the rest of the record and it's welcoming you to the show sort of thing. And I really love that as the opening song. (laughs) My first thing is like, it's like dark Disney, right? (laughs) It's just this sort of welcome to the big top, you know, come inside and get ready for the spectacle that you're about to see, but not as a prologue. Like this is, welcome get in your seats and be blown away like there's not this is this song isn't like uh you know an intro for anything it is like it's a full show in and of itself it's the longest track on the album too which is unusual for an opening track i think um yeah but that's funny that you should say yeah that it sounds kind of like a disney uh thing because um I mean, you're you're right. It is absolutely a welcome to the show type track. Uh, it's a bit. I'm not sure if it was the best opener because it kind of it almost gives you the impression that this is going to be a concept album or something about something called the Circus Doom, and it's not that at all. You know, tonally and lyrically, the rest of the album is actually quite different in some ways. Um, uh, and actually, musically, most of the album's a bit heavier than this and a bit sort of less cartoonish but this is a good track no question i'm just i'm not entirely convinced it was the best opener but it is a good track um but what's funny is that musically i felt and i've got in my notes that this could have been i take out the vocals obviously but musically you could imagine this in like the nightmare before christmas or oh, something for sure. you know, that kind of film uh which so that's funny that you should also mention you know that it sounds like a disney thing but also <laughs> marcia my partner for those who don't know heard me listening to this uh, a few days ago when i was you know sort of prepping and making notes for the show and she thought that i was listening to a musical yes that's which, what i'm saying which, dude. which I, I, I and i was like no but i think the band might take that as a compliment mm-hmm. <laughs> this feels like a full stage production in contained in a song Right. Like it it feels like there are acts to this song. It feels like the curtains open and close. There are humongous sets and you know people running around backstage changing costumes and everything. Like it it feels like a production. And within that, it has all the elements that you will see on the rest of the album because there is some very heavy, you know, when she screams ashes to ashes True, and the, yeah. and everything, get the drums and the guitar get a lot heavier. And then, you know, when they, when she hits circus of doom and like everything, the keyboard sort stop. of explodes yeah. in an exclamation point. Uh, so good, dude. Like by the end of the first verse and chorus, I am all in on this album like that. Like they had me. I just remember the first time I heard it, I was like, holy shit, this is, (laughs) they're going all out. Like it, it was one of those things like we talked about before of like it, it, the earnestness of it, you just are like, 
Damn. Yeah, we're just okay. going for it. All right. Yeah. Let's go. Like I'm I'm in now. Um that and I feel like that sort of this whole showcase at the beginning of this album, it it does, it pulls you in so much that you're you're in on the vocals, you're in on the keyboards, you're in on the you're in on the whole thing by the end of this song. And I think again, we get to see for Nora the you know the the sort of rage filled when you know when it's, when it's ashes to ashes and and things are chaotic and and then you get to see the soaring vocals like but you also get in the beginning where you sort of have just sort of the keyboards and the and the chugs and the and the bass line there and she's kind of singing the verse just the kind of swagger she has it is like the you know the she's wearing the the you know, carnival barkers and she's got the, you know, wand in her hand and she's bringing everybody in and she's getting them excited. And she's just, she just feels like she has the listener kind of wrapped around her finger as she's navigating the verse and then it gets heavier and then it explodes into the chorus. Like, and then as the song goes on, you know, the whole, I feel like it's a whole nother quote unquote act where she's singing, you know, the silence descends when the lights go down and just how she's drawing out some of those, you know, words and notes and things like that. It's just the confidence level of how she's delivering that. It really does feel like a musical in the sense that it has been performed over and over and over again until the they're so confident in their performance of that song. It feels like a stage number. And that is what, that's the charm of this song to me. Well, one thing you didn't mention uh, in all the the elements that this song has, and that I think actually is one of the things that contributes towards it feeling a bit like a musical number, is the backing vocals, the male choral style backing vocals, which are on a lot of the songs on this album, like most of the backing vocals. Because Nora doubles up a couple of times, you know, she sort of does her own backing vocals for a bit of counter melody here and there. But most of the backing vocals are deep-voiced male choir style. Now, I don't know exactly which band members do this, and I'm sure there's a bit of double tracking going on there as well, but it's surprisingly effective. And it is, it's one of those things that is cheesy as hell. (laughs) It really is, but it works. It does work, you know, Uh, and they sound good as well. I mean, they, they, you know, they genuinely obviously can sing. Um, But yeah, these very deep voiced male choir thing, which goes on uh, through that uh, section that you were talking about, actually, but also appears in just in the regular verses uh, of this. In fact, ends each regular verse, I think, in this song. And yeah, that's another element that, as I say, you, you kind of, yeah, you can picture that if it was on a stage with, you know, the the choir at the back singing along, uh, giving accompaniment or something. It's, like I say, yeah, it's a good track. It's, like again, not entirely convinced that it's the best opener. It does have all the elements, I guess, that are on other songs in the album. But, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm 50-50 on whether it should have opened or not. But it, it is good. I feel like it's the perfect opener because, like, you talked about the male vocals there. My favorite part is when they repeat three times, the circus has left, the circus has left, the circus has left, and then it pauses for a second, and she says, left the town, but she draws it out, and then all of the music comes back in, and you hear the keyboards kind of cycling and going around and stuff. It's got that, it has that first song of a musical feel, and 
you can imagine the curtains pulling closed after it, right? It I guess just that's true. Actually, like, yeah. yeah, that is true. And that's what a first song is supposed to do. Like, it just gets everybody excited about what is going to come next. Like, this, the, the, it was the big opening number, and that is exactly what this song is. It's the big opening number. It's five minutes long. It's got every element and the kitchen sink in it. They're strutting through the entire song. Like, it, it really does. Uh, and it's the title track. And so all of those things together, I think, um, really capture the vibe for me. Yeah, okay, I'll give you that. I mean, the title track thing, you know, they named the album after the track. They could have called the album anything, so that doesn't really count. But uh, yeah, uh, you're right. It does feel like the opening number of a musical, so maybe it is the appropriate one to start the album as well. Let's move on then to track two, Wings of Light. a more much more traditional traditional yeah 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 song and uh up tempo this one kind of kicks the door in it's got that sort of you know chase feel to it uh you've got 15 seconds in the you know absolute belting out of a scream that you expect in a metal song uh you know and just the guitar following that with just the exclamation lick after she screams i think is so perfect like that's the kind of cheese I'm here for. That's what I want. Give me that where the guitar the lead guitar is answering the lead vocalist. There's well, that sort of I freaking love that. Well, I mean this this was a single. Uh and no surprise because it is yeah, it's definitely of a sort of straight ahead rocker with a very very catchy chorus. Uh, a lot of energy, you know, good pace uh and definitely a sort of the kind of song that you want after that opener, um, especially to kind of prove that they are here, you know, they can be a bit heavy and they are here to rock. Um, if you like those elements of this song, you should listen to more Nightwish because the Nightwish influence is really strong in this track. Uh, and I mean, and they've never denied that, you know, they're friends with Nightwish. Their first big tour was supporting Nightwish. They're fans of Nightwish. How could Nightwish not be an influence on, you know, sure. a, a Finnish band like this? So that's not a knock, but the Nightwish influence is very strong in this track. Like if you swap the vocalists, you could, you know, you could imagine this being a Nightwish track. You've got the keyboard stabs, you've got Nora's sweeping vocals. It's all a bit operatic. Yeah, very Nightwish. But... 
that's I like it. I mean, that's good. Like I say, it's not a knock at all. Um, you know, the, even the, the, there's a piano break after the solo, and even that made me think, like, yeah, that's a bit Nightwish. <laughs> yep. Um, but I like it. I like it a lot. It's really catchy. Fantastic chorus. Um, yeah, just an all round great song. I mean, there's not really a lot to say about it because it's not especially complex. Uh, it's, it does have two solos. <laughs> I is, like how the first solo know, really unusual. leaps off of her vocals, though. Right, right. You and know, the, which which is not that's true. All, always the case, right? I just I, I think, and it goes back to what I was talking about earlier. But I do feel like there is that organic feel to the interplay between the guitars and the keyboards and the interplay between the guitars and the vocals in this, where it really does feel like they, they get one another and they're, they're sort of jumping off of one another, you know, in, in how they do that. And the guitar, so both guitar solos I love on this song. I think there's some great shredding, but they're not so long that it's, you lose track of the no, song. Like they're, they're very and I feel like overall, solos. Yeah. yeah. You know, I feel like overall, whether it's the licks or the solos, like they're not, they're never taking over the song. They're always, they're, they're within the song. Yeah. And they, I they, really like that. They're just a little, a little flourish, a little break from the vocals, you know? Uh, yeah. None of them are particularly long or sort of overly complex or anything. Uh, I mean, or when she scream when she screams with your wings of light, and she freaking belts that out, and the guitar is just shredding behind her. Yeah, yeah. dude, <laughs> come on. It's funny like, actually because when I heard it, I assumed that because there were two solos, I thought, oh, each guitarist is like taking their turn. You know, as many bands do. Halloween used to do that. Loads of bands do it. But actually, when you watch it live, no, it's all it's all the same guitarist. <laughs> it's all, he just does two solos in this song. Go figure. <laughs> hey. More is better, <laughs> yeah, you know? More is more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Yona is, uh, I mean, he talked about, like, his metal influences, right? And it's like, yeah, you could totally see that with his, uh, when he gets into his bag as far as, like, shredding. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and he can shred. Yeah, for sure. Now, he doesn't do it too often because they're not that sort of band, but he does do it occasionally. And, yeah, it's uh, it works. But yeah, as I say, not a huge amount to say about it, other than just it's a really good track. It's you know, like I say, very catchy, straight ahead rocker, right down the line. Uh, but you know, it's kind of a good showcase for everyone, really, in the band. I think, uh, and that takes us to Master of Illusion.
I feel like now we're back into the stage performance, right? We had that in the first song, second song, more traditional power metal. Now I feel like that sort of dramatic flair is back for this song. It's funny you should say that because during the grass pop set that I watched, Nora introduces this song by saying that it's her favorite song on the album. Uh, I mean, you can feel this is what to go back to what we talked about with the joy, right? Like you can feel them just putting themselves into these songs. Yeah, I I guess. This was also a single, uh, by the way, which is kind of a, you know, not an obvious choice for a single, I would say. Um, The, again, I like it. The chorus feels a bit cramped. Like there's kind of, they could take a few words out. (laughs) It feels like she's kind of having to rush a bit to get all the lyrics in. Um, I kind of love that though. Yeah, but but it is a great melody. This thing, I, again, I love her performance, and I think the melody is great. I just kind of, yeah, there are times in the chorus where I'm thinking like, oh, take a breath. Um, and the middle eight is a bit muddled as well, but I do love there's these big timpani-style drums that lead us back into the final chorus. And that, again, is kind of, it's a bit oh, cheesy, yeah. but it is good. It works. It's so good, dude. Yeah. Um, it's so good. Yeah, it's, you know, good track, good lyrics. Uh, yeah, as I say, it's a slightly odd choice for a single, but uh, but yeah, I think it's a good place for it on the album as well. Track three, you know, it's probably about right. It's not quite the same big musical number style as the opening track. But the uh, chorus is so freaking good, dude. Yeah, well, like I'll say, the, the melody's got great. The Joker. Yeah. yeah. To kill the lies and make your heart recall. But then, like, the swirling keyboards come in after that, and, like, at a minute 40, the freaking guitar fill that comes in, like, again, goes... It takes the the rhythm line and just jumps off of it. It just accentuates it, like, so perfect. There's some freaking great guitar fills on this album. Um, and that's one on this album. But, yeah, I feel, I feel like she well. really... Oh, yeah. I mean, this dude... Come on. I mean, he's every song has these keyboard flourishes that, you know, again, for he, this one, I feel like it's uh, the opening line of the keyboards, you know, the piano style yeah. kind of opening line. It's just really, really, really good um, and is a great build that then the heavy elements kick in, you know, over the top of it's. It's so good. But you can totally hear like his pop um, sensibilities in all of these songs, you know? In terms of the keyboard lines, I feel like you can really kind of really feel that. So, yeah, I mean, I love the chorus on this song. Um, Master of Illusion, again, to me, feels very much like Circus of Doom in the sense that it's, it's the next musical number on the album where they're sort of leaning into it and there's a great little whammy bar <laughs> on, <laughs> on one of the guitar fills here where he just like smacks the whammy bar and gives it that little twang i freaking love it um yeah great love it love this song three songs in love every one of them so far my favorite lyrical couplet in this one is in the pre-chorus where she sings you can hear the weeping violins long before the bitter end begins yep i like that that's good there's some really good lyrics in this one and they have someone who writes a lot of lyrics for them um elise widemark who does a lot of the lyrics on not just this album, but a few of their previous albums as well. Oh, okay. I could not I find any information about her, but um, 
yeah, they have some really good lyrics on some of these songs. Obviously, they have a lot of, you know, traditional sort of power metal cheese, too, and just inspirational, uplifting things, all of which I also love. But they have some good word plays in some of these songs. Yeah. Yeah, well, and we'll talk more about lyrics in some of the later tracks as well, yeah. This one has an interesting ending as well, this this track. Like, you know that I normally love a suspended no ending, but here it kind of is almost a bit too much. Like, I, I don't know, I kind of I think I would have preferred this track if it had gone back to the root for a final blast, but instead it ends high and you're like, oh, leave me hanging. <laughs> they just try to give you what you want, Anthony. I know, Come I know. On. I know, I'm a contrary soul. Yeah. <laughs> uh track 4 where angels fear to fly was also a single oh interesting like just r- racking up the singles here and right really interesting for this one because this track is massively epic this is to my mind this is the most traditionally power metal track on the album um and it actually makes me think there's something they don't do on this album that i would like to hear and that okay. is and maybe they've done it on previous albums like i say i haven't listened to them i don't know i would like to hear them do a Halloween-style multi-movement eight, nine-minute song because I think they could pull it off. Listening to this track especially, I think they could pull it off and I think it would be quite good. And yeah, I just, I'd like to hear that because I really like this track. Um, the percussion on it is great. There is actually oh, a separate, so good, dude. there's a separate percussionist credited on the uh, sleeve notes of the album. Now, you and I were talking before, the sleeve notes on this album are actually pretty not great. They're pretty minimal. I don't know specifically if the percussionist was on this track, but I guess probably because there's a lot of extra non-standard drums percussion on it. Uh, lots of strikes and hits going on in the background, which I thought might be electronic, you know, might be driven by the keyboard and maybe some of them are. Uh, but seeing that there was a percussionist credited separately on the album makes me think maybe not, maybe they are, you know, hit by a human. Uh, either way, I really like them. Um, and talking about lyrics, I really like the lyrics on the chorus here. This, again, this is this proper epic sort of fantasy novel, sword and sorcery yep. feel, you know? This is what I want from power metal. Like the midnight sun, I will be rising. I'm lighting up horizons with thunder and lightning. I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, yep. if, that, if that doesn't get you, then this is not the genre for you. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. 
And again, this is another one where it has that, you mentioned epic, right? It has sort of that epic intro, and then it settles into just a freaking great groove. And again, the lead guitar sort of echoes the main sort of rhythm in the beginning of the song, yeah, which I yeah. freaking absolutely love that. Um, and again, very uplifting. They say the darkest hours are just before the dawn, that we must die to be reborn. I'm still alive. I'm ready for the pain. If I fall, I'll rise again. And then it gets like super sweeping, you know. And yeah, it comes the, uh, the choir and yeah. Yeah, dude. Like, it, and that's the kind of thing where it's like, sometimes unexpectedly goes big where you weren't necessarily anticipating. And I think this is one of those songs that does that. Yeah. It's like I say, I, this is, I'm not, not necessarily going to say it's my favorite song on the album, but I would like to hear more songs like this from them. Uh, because yeah, I really dig it at the ending as well. is really big and symphonic. We got like keyboard stabs and again, timpani, babbling away in there it's just yeah it's really good great lyrics great again performance from nora uh you know fantastic vocal melodies and stuff and uh yeah just a really epic feeling song um that and I love. she goes low on some of those she when does. they're mm-hmm. when they're in the verse you know when she says fell and fell and then it just like the chugs kick in and stuff like that like it, it it's just uh her freaking range man yeah yeah, well, uh, this insane. is another one. Again, you can see them do this live at Grass Pop, and you can see her vocals there. And it's, I mean, you, you can tell it's live, just you know, for a, a various number of reasons. But one of them is that the because this is this is how it works. When she goes low, you actually have to kind of strain to hear her a bit uh, on that festival performance because obviously you can't project when you're going low like that but she right. does but she does pull it off i mean it's there but uh yeah it's as you say it kind of shows the range but it is difficult to project when you're going well and just like the dramatic flair too right you know which yeah. saying it felt like the end they hit the ceiling and then they fell and fell and just the way she delivers that is yeah. so like it brings you down and then she brings you back up you know so good yeah absolutely Track five, Eye of the Storm. I feel like this is, you know, the the last song where Angels Fear to Fly had a very sort of methodical, you know, groove to it. 
And this one is brings the tempo back up and it's, you know, that uh that sense of kind of urgency and that sense of like, you know, sprinting forward. That's the vibe of this song. And I think it's a nice contrast and kind of builds on what the song before it did. Yeah. This was also a single. <laughs> By the way. Literally four of the five first five songs on the album were singles. Like all I mean, by the opening track, it's crazy, <laughs> dude. Because they're all awesome. I mean, the, the part where she's kind of building up to the chorus, where she's screaming, "The edge of what I can endure," been there, rising through the storm. You know, just she delivers it as if she's on the edge. Yeah, right. Just like totally, you know, frantic delivery of that, and then boom, explodes into the chorus like. That type of, you know, push-pull that she has, like, within the songs themselves, to me, it, it goes that that, like, idea of the command and control she has, just the way that she's delivering this stuff is freaking awesome. There's an old saying, and I think it might have been Nile Rogers, or maybe Bernard, might have been Sheik anyway, point being, uh, who sort of clicked onto this, as it were, and made it a, a trademark almost, which is uh, to play the chorus as the opening. Like, the opening of your song should be the chorus. Not necessarily with vocals, can be with, without, but, like, you musically, certainly, you should play the chorus first because that's your catchiest part. So, naturally, that's the bit you play first to draw people in and then you go into the verse and then you go back into the chorus. And battle bass do that a fair amount, uh, and it really works on this track. Like it was this track, I think, that really stood out to me as them doing that. Like, oh yeah, they, that's the chorus, isn't it? Um, yep. You know, with the this is one where the guitar is playing the chorus vocal line over yes, dude, and I the love same it. music. Yeah, in the intro, it it really works well. Uh, it's nice to hear Nora's non raspy voice. You know, clean voice for a change. Um, but it's also a good illustration of why I'm glad that she doesn't do it too often because I think it kind of lacks the character that she's got when she has the slightly dirty voice, the raspy voice. Um, you know, it's nice. It's a lovely, sweet tone, but that's that's exactly it. It's just a nice, sweet tone. It doesn't have that, you know, fist <laughs> that her uh, metal voice does, as it were. Um, there's a lovely bit here where they move, how they move from the pre-chorus into the chorus. So, a bit nerdy. Uh, the final note at the end of the first couplet of the pre-chorus would clash with the first note of the chorus. They're just like, they're atonal. So instead, when they do it again, because obviously there's two parts to the pre-chorus, on the second couplet, they shift up instead of down. And the up note is harmonious with the root of the chorus. And it's a tiny little thing, but it would be so easy to screw up. And they don't. And they, they because I was listening, the first time I was listening to that pre-chorus, well, not the first time, sorry, the second time after I knew what the chorus was going to be. And I was like, hang on, how do they do that? Because that doesn't, that shouldn't work. And then I you know, heard the, the uplift and I was like, oh, okay, nice. Nice little little thing for the, for the muso nerds. Um, some lovely double kick in the middle eight of this as well. Because the drummer doesn't, he's clearly good, but he doesn't get much chance to show off. Uh, you know, he's very much kind of 
everything in service to the song. In service of the song, for yeah. sure. Yeah, so yep. it was. it's nice to hear a song where he does get to do, show off a bit and go, look, I can do this, <laughs> just in case you were wondering, you know. Um, and then the key change at the end, that really caught me off guard the first time I heard it. I was like, whoa, I was not expecting that key change, because you don't get that all that often in metal songs. So, uh, yeah, it was... I'm, I'm not a huge fan of key changes generally uh but you know i'll i'll allow it <laughs> well and again f- songs five and six are generally where we might see a bit of a lull in a 10 song album right hmm. and the fact that this i feel like is a really strong one sort of prevents that from having i mean you mentioned it's another single right yeah um yeah so i just feel like it 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 definitely does more than you might expect a song to do at this point in the album. There's yeah. no letdown here. Yeah, no, not with not with this one, no. Uh, so let's, with that, on that note, let's go on to track six, which is Russian Roulette. I think this is the closest song to the sort of pageantry of the opening song. Oh, and if right, this yeah. was, if this was, I don't know if this is the, you know, flip the record over, um, assuming there's 10 songs on the, on the vinyl, right? Is this song one on side two? Um, and if it is, then I feel like it does a really good job of doing what Circus of Doom did on the first side. This feels like another big sort of, um just like production you know like there's and there's a real vibe to this song um the keyboard line in this song is insane <laughs> it's yeah. so over the top and cartoonish in some ways but i love it and the guitar absolutely over the top everything is over the top in the song including just like the the vocals and the chorus there there's almost like a ragtime feel to the keyboards in some of in some elements of this song like it it you know it feels like it takes place on a riverboat casino <laughs> this song is is really the vibe that comes off of it and um i love it i love i love the this is another one of those songs that just screams like the joy of performing this song to me comes through in the song itself I am really conflicted on this song because it is it, like 
it almost the first time I heard it, I thought that they'd ripped off Let Me Entertain You, the Robbie Williams song, because the verse really sounds like that song. Now, it's not, you know, it, the, the, there are differences. Obviously, the vocal melody is very different and the rest of the song, it, you know, doesn't have that. But I was like, what is that really what you're going for? Like, you can't be unaware of that because that was such a huge hit. You can't be unaware of that song. Uh, and then you've got the 80s toms, those electronic drum pad sounds in the drum fill, disco style drumming on the chorus. Uh, and then that weird seven dwarfs baby shower party middle what the hell is going on in the middle eight but this doesn't give you an abba vibe (laughs) no god what no no it's i mean like i say i'm conflicted because i do like it it like it's not a bad track but it is this is the track that made me think because this is just this is pop cheese and like i say again i like it i'm not necessarily saying it's bad cheese but this was the track that made me think, oh, okay, because again, I haven't listened to the previous albums, but having read some of the complaints about the previous albums, I thought, oh, is this what those previous albums sounded like or more like? Because if that's the case, then I can understand people being wary. I would not want a whole album that sounded like this. One track, fine. And like I say, I do like it, but any more than one track of this, and I think it would probably turn me off. It's just, it's too much. Well, so let's talk about that point for a second. I don't think I don't think this is indicative of what their previous albums were like, nor do I think their previous albums were sort of one-trick ponies in okay. terms of, you know, all in the same vibe and all in the same thing. I think I I think they just hadn't hit on, you know, especially for people that thought that the heaviest elements left with Anton, right? I just think they hadn't hit on the the exact mix yet right you know in some of those things i feel like russian roulette circus of doom to me feel like the biggest sort of uh productions is all i keep going to like the biggest sort of musical style productions that i've heard as as far as the stuff i've listened to you know, granted i haven't listened to the previous stuff a ton but these songs feel big in a way that i don't remember other songs from their discography feeling in the past okay all right so maybe i think i think when people sort of complain about the newer sound versus the older sound i think they just feel like it lacked it had lacked some of the punch maybe but i I don't know i'd we'd have to if anybody is a longtime battle beast fan and can articulate that in the comments for this episode of like what is the what was the missing magic that people felt like you know, they lost yeah. for a while uh, and, and sort of where it is. But I feel like the sort of pageantry and the and the sort of uh, over-the-topness of this song in Circus of Doom to me feels like they're, they, they're evolving into this in their biggest sort of numbers, but they know enough to not make every song like this on the album. Right. You know, they sort of strategically place them. And again, I feel like if this is the opener of Side 2, I love it. I guess it fits I love the big number. in that context, yeah. Yeah. Yep. As I say, like I do like it. I'm not, you know, knocking it necessarily, other than yeah, I was like, well, this is quite tonally different <laughs> from the rest of the album. I would not And want it's got it. like a video game ending, right? It gives you that little uh Oh yeah, it's another almost... one that ends on a suspended note as well, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> and there's like this little keyboard, you know, it sounds, yeah, it sounds like when a video game logo would pop up yeah. <laughs> uh, at the beginning of a game, right? Where the logo would pop up and it just had that little, you know, that little sting, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's move on to track seven, which is Freedom. Again, I feel like we're back in the traditional sort of power metal. Yeah, you know, less less swing and swagger, more um, sort of thrashy, galloping rhythm um, sort of thing. To me, the biggest note I made on this is I really like the solo on this song. I think it shreds, and you know, I don't think I don't think he's showing off. The guitar doesn't get the spotlight on most of this album, even though I think the guitar is well represented. But there are some solos that I think really stand out, and this was one of them for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is, as you say, this is definitely back to more traditional power metal kind of stuff. I mean, this, talking about cheese, this is cheesy as well. My goodness. You know, both musically and lyrically, there is plenty of cheese here. Um, but in a different way, you know, in a, in a more traditionally power metal kind of way. Um, and yeah, it's one of those tracks where it's, it is good. There's not a lot that stands out about it as different or surprising you know it's just a well-executed well-executed yeah. standard song you know not uh, a bad song but i don't have overwhelming feelings about it one way or the other right exactly exactly um although this is another one where the drummer gets to show off a bit doing his triplets on the that galloping rhythm in yeah. the uh, verse which is nice and again i think i think it's a nice um contrast to the song before it you know so i'm liking yes, the yes. you know they're not totally sticking songs of the exact same kind one after another yeah. you know no absolutely um i did like the the line metal for your soul <laughs> so again <laughs> talking about cheese like wow yeah um this is another one where the guys doing the backing vocals do a really great job i actually noted it on this track like there's lots of choir style backing on this uh track and it's it's a good one to sort of go oh yeah yeah, actually, they're doing a really solid job there because it's consistent throughout. It gives it this nice bed, if you like, of accompaniment, but it's not over the top. It's never kind of in your face, uh, you know, just serves as uh, an extra accompaniment, um, which is nice. Yep. But yeah, other than that, don't have a lot to say about this song. So let's move on to track eight, The Road to Avalon.
Yeah, it kind of has that sort of dreamy style opening, but then it, it's another super catchy song. Um, the one note that I had here is the bells before the chorus. Yeah. Like just the use of, <laughs> of bells in here, I thought, I thought was pretty awesome. Yeah. And it's funny, when I saw the title of this, before I heard it, when I saw the title and given other lyrics so far on the album, I thought, oh, well, here we go. Right, we're going to get a full-on Fantasy and Dragons style song. Uh, but then, no, it turns out to be a Band on the Road song. It's, yep. it's We Are the Road Crew. We ain't crew. brothers by blood, but the yeah. road makes us family. Yeah, it's We Are the Road Crew, but power metal style. Um, but it's good. It's good. Yeah, the, totally. A, again, extra percussion, complete with those bells. Uh, maybe that's what that guy... <laughs> was credited for was hitting the tubular bells um oh, maybe I, I but i like i like how they're not afraid to use stuff like that. now i made this note actually before i knew the the keyboard player was also the producer but i made a note that how throughout they like you've already got keyboards so why not just go all in with some electronic effects and other yep. sort of non-traditional metal sounds uh yep. now knowing you know about who how the band writes songs and the producer and all that sort of thing makes a bit more sense now but i do like that because yeah as i say if you're the minute you step over the threshold into okay we're going to have keyboards in our in our metal band as far as i'm concerned once you pass that threshold then you might as well just go whole hog there's no yep. sense in being coy about it then you know uh, especially I, when you can do it without losing the exactly more guitar driven metal elements of the song and that is where i feel like so many power metal bands fall apart right. in that department but here it's like we are going to go over the top with keyboards but we're also not going to forget you know that what, we are a metal what band. pays the bills yeah. you know and and that to me is where i think they have found that sort of magic agreed yeah I mean, yeah, I like plenty of metal bands that use keyboards. It's not, you know, something that I'm against at all. But I know some metal fans, maybe not so much now, but certainly in the 80s, you know, we've talked about this before. I'm sure you you and I both remember the controversy when bands might have a keyboard part on one song on an album. Everybody would accuse them of being pop sellouts and stuff. (laughs) Yes. Which, you know, just seems so ridiculous in retrospect. But it was a real thing at the time. People were really outraged that a metal band might use keyboards somewhere. Um, But yeah, as I say, I like plenty of metal bands that use keyboards. I just think, don't hold back. Yeah, if you're going to use them, then you may as well just use them. Uh, I mean, Christ, look at, you know, Slipknot, I've got a DJ for heaven's sake. Nobody's going to accuse them of not being heavy. (laughs) And I always look back at Dio, right? I mean, that right, right. to me is like the blueprint for like how you make it work. Now, granted, the keyboards are busier in, but this is a the the music is busier too, you yeah, know, yeah. in in uh, this particular genre. But yeah, like that that to me is like the perfect combination, well, right? And so, and part of the reason that it came up for me on this track was because there's a keyboard solo in this track dueling with the guitar you do not hear that very often in metal even in symphonic metal or those bands that use keyboards you don't hear a keyboard solo all that often and that's probably a good time for us to talk about his guitar oh my god it's (laughs) awesome i freaking love it the first time i saw that live video and he stepped up and i'm like holy shit he's got a (laughs) guitar and he freaking destroys that thing dude like he is he plays the shit out of that Keytar. Oh man, I haven't seen a Keytar in so long. <laughs> I was just like, wow, they still make those. 
I mean, uh, I'd be happy if they made him just for this dude because he <laughs> does them justice. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, he's rocking out and having a great time. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's but yeah, I was so like, wow. So yeah, the again, not many metal bands that use keyboards have keyboard solos, and even fewer give their keyboard player a guitar so that they're well, not you've stuck got, up. And his you know, brother is the lead guitar player. I know, and they're stood next to one another. Like it's so awesome. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things about this band oh man it's uh yeah it's, uh, it's like i'm gonna be the guitarist and you're gonna be the keyboard player no i'm the lead i'm the guitar player and you're the guitar player that's how this rolls <laughs> and the two of them just tear it up together i love it they do they do yeah it's great uh but yeah as i say it just took me by surprise completely the first time i saw it I was like wow um there's one other thing in this song I mean, I, again, I like the song in general, good lyrically and all that. Uh, but there's one other thing musically that I really like, which is at the very end of the middle eight, she just sings the word Avalon, practically a cappella, And it doesn't match any melody anywhere else in the song. Like, I'm not even sure the notes appear anywhere else in the song. And then it, it's, that sets us up before the final chorus. And it's an odd choice, but it works. But it's, I don't know, it's just kind of nice. Like, it would be so easy, again, not to have that, you know? Right. Not to, to just let a note ring out or something. But instead, you've got this vocal line that, like I say, doesn't sound like anything else in the track that sets us up for the final chorus. It's just a, such a nice little detail that shows the sort of attention to detail, uh, which I really appreciate. So yeah, have a listen out for that when you listen to this track. But now let us talk about track nine, Armageddon. This song has a very Bonnie Tyler's I Need a Hero vibe oh. to me. Like, dun, 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 Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but again, this is another, like, up-tempo, you know, fist in the air, you know, uh, sprinting forward type of vibe. And, uh, yeah. And then you got, like, <laughs> you have the robot Armageddon. <laughs> Uh, in the background, love it. Yeah, this is a, this is again for song nine. I feel like we're bringing the tempo back up. We're you know we're we're bringing the energy up in song nine, and I like that. Oh, definitely bringing the tempo up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and like- I love her delivery of the like when she says, "I see the truth in your eyes through the lies. Don't you hide it behind a disguise and a fake smile?" And she draws that word 
out. This this to you might again be like she's cramming too many words into the uh you know in the lyrics here, but I I love the fact that how she's delivering that. I really do like that. Au contraire, Mr. Bryant. I absolutely love the chorus in this song. Yes. Uh, and funnily enough. It's like enough, a two verse chorus. Right. Well, funnily enough, like, is it weird that this is actually is the track? This is the first one that caught in my brain after my really? first listen to the album. Yeah. Of all the tracks, maybe it's because it's towards the end. I don't know. But of all the tracks on the album, this is the one, the chorus, that I was like humming, you know, for a day or two afterwards. And I, I was trying to figure out why. And I looked again at the lyrics. Uh, in the chorus, I mean, not just the lyrics, but obviously the melody as well, but looking at the lyrics, I wonder if it's because, and you just pointed it out there, there is a lot of internal rhyming in the chorus throughout. Like, you know, it's not just rhyming the last line, the last word in a line or something. It's like every third word or so, or certainly every rhythm, every other beat, there is an internal rhyme. Um, And you don't find that in an awful lot of rock songs. It's very common in rap. You hear it in a lot of hip-hop, you know, R&B, rap, and what have you. It's not that common in rock songs, although one of the per- people who does it is Nick Holmes in Paradise Lost, which is one of the reasons that oh. I rate him so highly as a lyricist. Uh, he actually does a fair bit of internal rhyming, not like this, obviously. <laughs> not at this speed and not singing like this, but he does do it. Uh, and it stands out enough i think that it's one of the things that helps a song and helps lyrics stick in the mind so yeah i wonder if that's one of the reasons why this chorus stuck in my mind but it did and i really love it this song has it crackles with energy it's like a non-stop driving track uh it's also the shortest track on the album proper which i think it is related to why it's so catchy you could do one of those you know get in hit somebody hard and then get out again it's that kind of track and yeah i really like it. it's one of my favorites on the album because the journey to the last line of the chorus feels like she's running up the side of a mountain you know right (laughs) and then and then this is your armageddon is the shortest line of those two verses all together right it's like the exclamation point on that but to get there just her delivery of like sometimes when she speeds up the delivery, slows down the delivery, lengthens a word versus crams three words together. Like just the cadence of that delivery to get to this is your Armageddon. It just feels like an exclamation point on everything that she's, you know, sung to that point. Um, yeah, I love that. It's uh, and again, to me, it just for whatever reason, the I need a hero thing popped in my head as I was listening to it. But I think it's. I think it's the piano line of that and just the sort of uh, sense of urgency there and the way that she delivers the chorus here that that kind of feels like that. But yeah, I think to me, this is one of my favorite songs on the album and it's song nine. Right. Yeah. No, I hadn't even made the the Bonnie Tyler comparison. That didn't even occur to me. But now that you've said it, you're absolutely right. Yes. And again, maybe that's got something to do with why I like it, because I really like that song. Uh, you know, the Bonnie Tyler song, I mean. So, yeah, I don't know. But it is, yeah, this is absolutely, again, I'm I'm not actually sure what my favourite track on this album is. I'm genuinely not sure. There are a few contenders, uh, but this is definitely one of them, for sure. It's one of my favourites, no question. And don't forget about the uh, uh, Armageddon. <laughs> Daddy. <laughs> Uh, uh, i just love the little sprinkle of shredded cheddar on top of that like that is the robot voice it's just like chef's kiss for me 
so from uh, bringing the tempo back up, we bring the tempo back down for what would have been what is the final track, basically on the sort of you know on the regular releases of the album. Track ten, place that we call home. Again, it feels like a more sort of traditional anthemic type of closer. And I feel like they do that, right? Like they'll go, they'll kind of stray away from the power metal kind of, I don't want to say formula, right? But the but what you would expect. Yeah. But then they kind of bring it back and ground it and bring it back and ground it. So I guess if you're going to bring it back and ground it, your closer is probably a good place to do that, right? Um I think my own, and I like this song again. It's it's um, under four minutes long, and it's catchy. It just doesn't stand out to me as much as a lot of the other tracks on this album. Oh, that's funny. Okay, now to me it does. Like you've got, I mean, okay, it, tell it, me about. Well, that. you've got a big epic intro, you know, which makes it feel like uh, a closer. You've got the choir going under a guitar solo, double kick. Again, it's all very traditional power metal, as you say. Um, th- there is a bit of a cheat here. The middle eight is essentially the chorus with different lyrics, <laughs> which is a bit <laughs> like it's a bit taking the piss. Um, but yeah, it, it is. I don't know. It, uh, do you know what this song puts me in mind of? Actually, Man of War. Oh, like couldn't you imagine Man of War doing this song? I could. Well, I had I put like Viking anthem as a note on this song. Right. Like definitely, yeah. it feels like it could be for sure. It, to me, that again, it feels power metal. Yeah, you know, it is very traditional power metal. But I think, as you say, I think that's not a bad place to end nope. the, the album because they have strayed from that path a few times on a few tracks. Um, yeah, no, it's another one that just feels a bit epic. Uh, you know, it f- fits with the milieu and then lyrically as well. The whole like, you know, going, so we're going to the place yep. that we call home just puts you in mind of, okay, this is journey's end. You know, we right. are going home now. So I think it's actually a really suitable finale, uh, for the traditional, uh, traditional for the regular. Uh, agree. Like I said, it, it feels like we're bringing it or landing the plane. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and so even though it doesn't jump out at me as like some of the other songs, I do think it's it is a it serves its purpose as the closer for sure. Yeah, I, I don't think I'd put it in amongst that group of my favorites on the album, but it is very good. I do like it, and I think it works as a closer. But then, uh, obviously, if you have the 
version with the two extra tracks. It is not the closer because we go to track 11, and that is The Lightbringer. And for whatever reason, I did not make separate notes on both of these, but I have sort of a general feel about both oh, okay. of these songs right. in which I feel like, um, well, let's just start with the Lightbringer. Much more uh, metal, you know, than yep. the previous, than the whole album, right? Like, I think both of these songs are metal songs. Maybe not even straight power metal songs but like metal metal songs um which is in which i think is cool for bonus tracks right but definitely feel like a harder edge than a lot of the songs on this album yeah the first thing in my notes is why are the two heaviest tracks on the album yeah, releg- yeah dude. relegated to bonus tracks it feels very strange um the opening on this track actually reminds me of Ingve. Uh, yeah. g- going all up and down the scales and i actually can't tell if is this the keyboard and the guitar both playing the same scales i believe so at the yes. same time at crazy speed but y- you would know better than i would that, that is like if so because at first i thought oh that's yeah the guitar is going mad and then let's do it again i was like wait no that sounds like a keyboard is it both and if so that's that is quite impressive like to match them so precisely uh i mean obviously you know these days with digital editing you can sort of quantize everything and make, right. make them match but i don't know i kind of get the feeling that maybe they wouldn't do that i just yeah and i've got nothing to base this on other than just having you know read about them and watched them play live and so i kind of feel like they feel like the kind of band that would go no 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 we'll just do it until we get it right rather than but just i almost feel like this is yona saying to his brother like all right dude listen <laughs> we just did 10 songs right great great album great album we just put together an absolutely killer album let's throw a couple of bonus tracks on there how about we throw up the horns how about <laughs> how about you let me uh yeah <laughs> you know, let me put a few of my riffs on here how about you let what me you let me that? take this one yeah i got, yeah. I got this well, <laughs> just put a Put a couple of songs on there for your brother. What do you think about that? A couple of bonus tracks. <laughs> and he was like, okay, yeah, no, that sounds cool. I mean, and then these are, these are his songs to like freaking shred and let loose. Well, although the funny thing is you say that, but the, the credited writer for this track is actually Yuna. Oh no, that is the guitarist. Okay. Sorry. That is the guitarist, isn't it? 
Yes, yeah. yes, no, so, okay, so for this track, that is, but that's not the case for the next track, so I'm getting confused between the two. So, on The Lightbringer, I can actually see why this isn't on the album proper. Not just because it is much heavier than pretty much anything else on the album, but also, it is actually, it's not the strongest song in terms of songwriting and arrangement. It's like, it's actually, it's very straightforward, very simple. It just kind of does the same thing three times. Uh, and it overstays its welcome just a tiny it bit. Is, like it, yeah. it's over four minutes, which for them, you know, not that they don't go over four minutes, but they have sub four minute songs too, right? So they're not afraid to just right. keep it lean. Well, and for a song, again, lacking complexity, it's it's a bit long. Yeah, you know, a song like this, if it was three minutes long, you'd go, whoa, cracking, you know, what a great track. Right. Uh, but yeah, at that length, it does overstay its welcome a bit. Now, uh this is going to completely screw up my um, timekeeping now. I'm just going to say, <laughs> I'm, going to move, I'm going to put the chapter mark here and we'll say that now we're talking about Tempest of Blades. So that was written by the bassist. Now, that is just as heavy. Tempest of Blades is just as heavy as Lightbringer, but it is musically a much better track, I think. Uh, Well, and it's tighter. It's only, it's a minute less. There's that, true, but it also has a little bit more complexity. Um, I see no reason... Like, with with uh, Lightbringer, as I say, I can understand why that's not on the album. Tempest of Blades, I see no reason that, why this isn't on the album. I cannot understand why this is not on the album proper, because it is a brilliant track. It is fast, it's energetic, it's got a great yep. chorus, fantastic chorus. Um, this actually is the shortest track. This is shorter than any other track, including, you know, bonuses on the album. Uh, it's got that lovely breakdown. Only lasts for a couple of bars, but still it's there. Um, yeah, it's it's a great track. Like, I would, personally, I would happily replace something like Russian Roulette with this. No. Uh, now, I know, I know that... <laughs> I know you wouldn't like that, yeah. But, like... I was going to ask you, that was going to be my next question, is like, okay, let's say you can insert Tempest of Blades. You don't have to get rid of any songs. Okay. You can insert Tempest of Blades into this album. Where do you put it? amongst the other 10 songs i would think i would put it uh between freedom and road to avalon Ooh, i like that choice i think i agree with you mm. i don't think it should be the closer i do think that place because for a start for a while i was i was wavering because this obviously is the closer of the edition with the bonus tracks and i was thinking maybe this should have been the closer on the regular one but actually i've come around since and i'm like no i like 
the feel of place that we call home i think that actually is like the best closer for the album but yeah i would stick this between freedom yeah. and road to avalon quite happily and i think it would give that back third of the album quite a lift to have something this heavy in there i think you're right because i think armageddon is a good lead-in to place that we call home it is, so yeah, i don't agreed. think i'd want yeah. to disrupt that but freedom and road to avalon i think you're right that would really put a punch in the back third, wouldn't it? Yeah, in the back third of the album. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Yeah, like I, say, I, I agree. I, I I really like this track. This is again, you know, this is up there in one of my favorites on the album. It's a shame that they had to mispronounce Hades to make it rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> and I do wonder Funny. if that's just because, like, every Finn I've met speaks impeccable English. So I'm like, surely, surely they know that they're mispronouncing it, don't they? Don't they? <laughs> Sometimes you got to bend the rules, man. Yeah, I just don't know. But like both of these songs, I feel have that like Judas Priest sort of, yes, you know, early nineties, just like killer painkiller instinct to them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, they have an album called the bringer of pain, which is definitely heavily influenced. Right, so there's right. a lot of Judas Priest influence. Maybe some of that was more of Anton, but clearly not all of it because because you, you know, again, they're, yeah. they're fully capable of going full Judas Priest when they want to. So, yeah, I mean, if you do have the bonus version of the album, I think these two songs absolutely, they add. They yeah. don't, you know, they definitely they, don't feel like a letdown. They don't feel like filler. Right, they don't feel like filler. Um, I do like the idea of Tempest of, of Blades getting inserted into that, though. Mm. But um, The other thing yeah. that made me laugh about this track uh, in an affectionate way, is, uh, frankly, just the title, Tempest of Blades. And I was like, I've had this theory for a while that metal is one of the best educations in English, in the English language, that a 14-year-old kid can get. Because <laughs> metal lyrics are full. Everybody is so desperate to basically make a song that is about pretty much the same as many, many other metal songs. Right. But they don't want to use the same words. And so everybody goes diving into the thesaurus. <laughs> and so you get things like Tempest of Blades. Like, really? Really? I mean, they make it work. Like I say, I love the track. It's great. But it did make me laugh, thinking like, yep, there's another one to strike off the list. <laughs> I did find my notes about these two songs, and that was the thing I want to remember about Lightbringer. I felt like there was a bit of the Final Fantasy melody oh. in Lightbringer. Oh, wow, I didn't notice that. Like the actual in, when the NES Final Fantasy melody, I thought was was in, in not exact, but I felt like it, the vibe was there. And then my notes on Tempest of Blades were absolute thrasher. Yeah. Yeah, let's say it's a, it's a great track. Um, and yeah, that brings us to the end of the album. And I, I don't think there's much more to say about it. Overall, I liked this album a lot more than I expected to. Um, looking at the cover art, honestly, I was kind of like, ah, I don't know whether I'm going to like this. Um, uh, but actually, as it went on, and a lot of that has to do with Nora's voice. I just absolutely love her voice. I cannot... It's amazing. Yeah, I cannot get over how great her voice is. I would listen to her sing just about anything. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely going to explore their back catalogue. Now that we've uh, now that we've got this album out of the way, and I'll be keeping an eye on future stuff, partly because, as I say, I would love to see them do something a bit more. Maybe I should say a bit more Halloween-like. You know, you might find um, what you're looking for 
in I wouldn't say in one particular album, but in a combination of their previous okay. stuff. Right. I think you might find what you're looking for. I think um yeah, I mean for me it's like so often, right? You get a band that has an incredible vocalist and maybe the musicianship isn't as you know of the same level right right yeah, yeah or you get one particular musician in the band that's clearly head and shoulders above the other ones i really feel like this band has all of the ingredients it's all and guns blazing on, yeah yep and on any given song you're getting all of that like even we talked about the drums right mostly in service of the song but if you're paying attention you'll see where that talent is clearly kind of coming through and so again i feel like they're they're running on all cylinders. They are uh, a very, they're a tight unit in terms of like being in sync, but the music itself just has a really confident and just a really confident feel to it where they're, they're really um, playing around with everything from tempo to lyrical cadence to which instrument's going to get the flourish here and stuff like that. They, they really feel like, they found it you know yeah and again i would absolutely encourage anyone out there who you know if you've heard the snippets here and thought oh yeah you know this sounds like my kind of thing uh go and seek out some videos on youtube of them playing live because uh they are very very good live and nora is even more impressive <laughs> when singing live yeah frankly i definitely want to see them play live i know they've on the last two albums i think they've come over to the states but i have not seen them play yet and they are they're on the the bucket list for sure yeah yeah all right well great album uh like i say unexpectedly uh favorable from me to be honest i wasn't sure that i was going to like it as much as i did but i really did so uh yeah that was great i will before we get to homework as always and again especially for the benefit of people who might be new listeners to the show i'll remind everyone we have a patreon uh, patreon.com slash thrash it out where we ask you to help support the show you know you defray our costs for the server domain name i just had the bill through uh last month for the uh you know renewal of our squarespace account and our domain and things like that um so yeah by supporting us on patreon you help defray those costs you help us you know therefore to keep the show going and you also get to take part in our backstage pass episodes you might you know you sort of go into the lottery the random lottery for those you get to nominate uh, an album, one per volume, uh, in our listener choice poll for us to talk about. And then you also get to nominate uh, in our Encore poll, where we revisit a band that we've already talked about once before on the show. Only patrons are allowed to nominate bands and albums in those polls. So if you want to get in with those for this volume, you know, become a patron now at patreon.com slash thrash it out and uh, make your pledge. We only ask for a minimum donation of a dollar per pledge per episode, I should say pledge you can pledge more if you want to some people do for which we're very grateful but you don't have to we try to make this as accessible to all as possible because you know we brian and i may be old men now but we both remember <laughs> what it was like to be penniless young metal fans and uh you know we do try to be very inclusive and so we uh yeah that's why we set it so low uh, we're not trying to actually make a living as it were you know make money from this as i say the costs are all really just to help us defray the costs that we have and also so that the audience like i said can take part in those uh exclusive polls talking about the community we're on facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash thrash it out uh long-time listeners are probably on there already or will already have heard us talk many many times about how brilliant that community is uh it's 
just one of the few drama-free, purely positive places on the internet, you know, an, an oasis of sanity in social media where all we're interested in is talking about metal music, you know, posting links to new metal music, talking about these episodes, uh, reviewing bands, discussing what your favourite who's your favorite drummer, you know, anything like that. Um, that's all we're concerned about. And, uh, we take it, you know, we have a light moderate, moderating touch, but we also, you know, we're not afraid to get, kick people off if they act like dicks. So basically, uh, yeah, <laughs> that helps make it a good community, good friendly community, uh, where everybody just has a good time talking about metal. Um, and that, that's really all what it comes down to, right? Is everything from the community to the fact that we've been doing this for eight years now. It's just like friends getting together and talking yep. about the music that they love and trying to introduce each other to things maybe that they haven't heard before or to, you know, give something to do that might have been overlooked. And it's the type of vibe we used to all get at the music shop when we were younger. Exactly. You know, yeah. and, and thanks to our community, we've been able to recreate that virtually which is not easy to do in this day and age yeah absolutely not uh and yeah remember our official website is thrashedoutpodcast.com uh that has got links so you can email us uh if you would rather do that than comment on facebook uh it's also got links to our twitter accounts which do still exist x.com now whatever uh but you know they do still exist and i think brian i'm certainly still on it i'm pretty sure brian is as well i am also on a bunch of different other social media places now as well which you can find if you just like search for me um but we are still on twitter and if you at us there you know one or both of us will see it so you can also comment to us there so homework Let's have it. Uh, I, went, I got my pencil ready. I went back and forth on this one a bit. Uh, I had there. There are like two or three contenders for you know what this could have been, uh, and we will get to all of them. Uh, but I had to decide, you know, which one was going to come first. Uh, and so I thought, fuck it, let's just take a complete swerve. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so from uh you know what we've just heard the Battle Beast instead now we're going to go uh, a few years ago back to the back to the orts and do System of a Down's second album Toxicity. Wow. Yeah. Pretty different <laughs> to what we've just talked about. Uh but yeah, I thought that would be, it, it occurred to me like, holy shit, how have we not done System of a Down? So, uh, I mean, there's loads of bands that we haven't talked about, obviously, you know, even with all the episodes that we've done, because there are so many bands out there. But yeah, I was like, we do need to talk about them at some point. So what better time than next episode? I think that's perfect. And I will tell you, they were absolutely on my list. And now I'm, I'm doubly excited because now I, I have another spot that opened it's up on my list. Effectively like you giving just you an extra spot, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep, and it would have been that album too, so oh, I'm would super excited too. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's got to be that album, hasn't it? We'll talk about that on the episode, but yeah, I think it's if you're going to talk about one album from them, it's got to be Toxicity. Agreed. Well, until then, everyone, we'll see you then, and until then, keep thrashing. Take care, everyone. Oh! Uh-huh.